Well, hello again. I should begin by telling our guests and visitors I am not the regular pulpit minister. That would be Walter Lane. Walter is taking a few well-deserved days off, and so I have the privilege of filling in here this morning. My name is Bob Chambers. I'm one of the elders of the congregation. As we begin, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? (laughs) Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day when we can assemble here as your people to worship you and to praise your name. And Father, I pray especially now that the things that are said would be according to your will, that we would strive as your people to stay on target, focused on your holiness and being disciples of Jesus Christ our Lord. I ask that you help us to open our minds and hearts that each one of us could embrace the teachings from your word. Give us strength, O Father. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last nine weeks, Walter has been discussing with us what it means to be on target with respect to pursuing sexual relationships God's way. In considering that particular topic, the notion of a target, which is what you see behind me on the, on the seat there, the target was adopted to basically remind us of our ability to choose, to choose where we aim and where we focus our behavior. From the very beginning, God has given us a sense of direction. He has called us to be like him, to be holy, to be pure, to be set apart, distinct. That command was passed down likewise to the nation of Israel and recorded in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 2, and it extends to us as Christians today as we are called to be holy in all our behavior, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Indeed, if you examine the language, the biblical definition of sin is to miss the mark, where that mark, that bullseye on the target, is the holiness of God. So today, what I would like to do is to wrap up that series uh, by talking about some practical things we can do to stay on target. As we begin, I'd like to begin by examining, first of all, why is it important for us to stay on target God's way? On the positive side, we should recognize the rewards Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 say, God is a rewarder of those who seek him. God's holy people are promised an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. An eternity with God in heaven is a worthwhile reward for staying on target. Even in this world, I would say to you, God's way spares us from the senseless heartache 
and suffering that result from promiscuity or unfaithfulness. On the flip side of that, we should fear the consequences of missing the mark. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. God will render to each person according to his deeds. Romans chapter 2 verse 6. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 and 42. I remind you, hell is real. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of of the living God, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. Thirdly, as Christians, we are bound by a covenant with God. We became true disciples of Christ by believing that Jesus was the Son of God, repenting, changing our course, aiming our lives towards the target, the holiness of God, confessing the name of Jesus as our Redeemer and and appealing to God for forgiveness in water baptism. When we did those things, we became one spirit with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. That means we are not our own. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Romans chapter 14, verse 8. We have been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. We are obligated to stay on target because that's what we agreed to do when we became Christians. Now, before continuing... Let me acknowledge right up front, staying on target is not easy. Our human frailties, our weaknesses often trip us up. But that is where God's grace is extended to Christians through the blood of Christ, who, which can cleanse us if we repent and are willing to ask God for forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. I want you to note, however, that that does not mean we are free to live in sin and continue in sin just relying on God's grace to cover our willful disobedience. Paul speaks directly against that in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We are expected to stay on target and continue to walk in the light as he himself is in the light. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. So, how do we go about staying on target? Well, first of all, we must maintain our focus on spiritual things. Now, let's remember, mankind is unique among all of God's creation. We alone possess both a physical body and a spirit. 
While the world we presently live in caters to our physical body, our spirit is suited for an eternal realm that is yet to be experienced. Because of that, spiritual things are abstract. They're elusive. They're hard for us to grasp. They require faith and belief in God's word because they are based on promises that will be fulfilled at some time in the future. In contrast to that, physical things and worldly pleasures, even though they may be short-lived, can be experienced in the here and now. Because of that, physical things have instant appeal. They're easy to be grasped. They're easy to be understood and appreciated. In spite of all of that, we must not allow short-term physical desires to deprive us of long-term spiritual gains. This requires us to be knowledgeable and alert and self-disciplined. We must establish priorities in our life that are based upon the true value of the physical desires versus the spiritual needs. That's the message that Jesus delivered to his disciples. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Our hearts must remain focused on heaven and on spiritual things because our actions are driven by our hearts. Second, if we are to keep our focus on spiritual things, then we cannot fall in love with the world. John put it this way, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. John says we cannot love both the world and the Father at the same time. It's an either-or choice. And that is precisely what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. James chapter 4 and verse 4 reads, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I want you to notice that rather interesting word choice in describing those who have befriended or who've fallen in love with the world. They are called adulteresses. They are said to have committed spiritual adultery. And that is so because having once been joined to the Lord as one spirit, These now have forsaken the Lord, being seduced by and joining themselves to another, in this case, 
the world. Our life requires a choice between our two natures. We can follow after physical things in the ways of the world, or we can pursue spiritual rewards that are based upon the promises of God. Unfortunately, many people, and even those within the body of Christ, are choosing poorly, being corrupted by the devil, the great deceiver. We are at war with an adversary who prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. The world we live in was created and provided to fulfill our physical needs. It was never intended to satisfy all our wants and desires. A third consideration when seeking to stay on target is recognizing what causes us to lose our aim and then defending against it. Fortunately for us, God has told us how the devil tries to draw us off target. God himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. James chapter 1 verses 13 through 15. We miss the mark and fall off target when we give in to temptations that are created by our own lusts. Now, what are lusts? Lusts are unhealthy, selfish desires to satisfy personal cravings without any consideration of others. In other words, it's all about getting me what I want, not what's best for me or others, but just what I want for satisfaction. When my lusts lead me to plan and devise ways to fulfill those selfish cravings, I'm being tempted. And when I actually take action and give in to that temptation, I miss the mark and sin. Now, knowing what pulls us off target, we now can examine the things that cause us to lust and make a plan to to fend against them. John identified the lusts of the world in that passage we read earlier, if we continue the reading, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. That passage tells us that lusts come 
in three categories. They come from the things that we see or visualize. That's the lust of the eyes. They come from things we feel or sensations of the body. That's the lust of the flesh. Or from things that feed our pride. And these are things like power, fame, fortune. We can defend against these lusts in one of two ways. We can either overcome them through our ability to recognize the threats and restrain our desires. That's the method of self-control. Or we can flee from them. And that's an avoidance strategy. Well, the method of self-control was demonstrated for us in the example of Jesus as he resisted the temptations from Satan, recorded in Matthew chapter 4, the first 11 verses. Notice, Satan appealed to the lust of the flesh with food for hunger, to the lust of the eyes when showing Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and to the boastful pride of life through a challenge to invoke his guardian angels. In each case, Jesus was able to resist temptation based upon his spiritual strength and a knowledge of God's word. Notice the success of the self-control defense is based really upon two factors. First was the ability to discern between good and evil. This was the recognition that there was a decision point, a point in time where a choice had to be made between staying on target or missing the mark. And along with that, it was an accurate knowledge of God's word that then was invoked in order to identify the righteous path. The second factor was the fortitude and willingness to submit to God's way. To do so was to honor and accept the authority of God and to prioritize by placing spiritual truth and God's will above physical desire. Now, although this strategy can work for us just as it did for Jesus, it only works if we are adequately prepared. No soldier goes into battle without the proper equipment and training, and yet many Christians do. We cannot reasonably expect to resist temptation if we are unable to recognize it when it comes. We must train our senses to discern between good and evil, not based upon what we think or what we feel or what we want, but based upon the righteousness of God, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. That requires personal Bible study and commitment to achieve the spiritual maturity level that's needed if we're going to stay on target. 
Many people place themselves in the midst of moral dilemma without ever even knowing it. It is simply unreasonable to expect a good spiritual outcome when the spirit has not been properly fed and exercised. The Bible also tells us that there are some temptations that are so strong we are commanded to flee rather than resist. And that's what I call the avoidance strategy. Sexual sins fall into this category. Sexual situations can pose a threat that extends beyond the spiritual maturity level of many, young and old alike. For that reason, Paul admonished Timothy, saying, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 and verse 18 read as follows. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Notice those words. Will provide a way of escape. Fleeing is the only safe way to escape sexual sins. As we begin to wrap up now, I would like to share with you some practical steps to help us all stay on target. First of all, we must know and acknowledge our weaknesses and lusts. We simply cannot defend ourselves if we are unaware or in denial of the worldly lusts that draw us off target. Notice here, everyone is different. This requires an honest self-examination. Once the things that tempt us have been identified, then be sensible. Limit your exposure to these lusts and temptations. This may require ending associations with people or places or activities. If that's the case, then so be it. Do not allow others to control you 
or to place you in unhealthy situations. Please remember, it is always your choice. You have a right to say, no, I won't be a part of that. Choose to do right. Second, I want to speak with respect to building worthwhile relationships. These come in several forms. I want to talk about three of them that are the, that are the biggest. And let's start with friendships. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Bad company corrupts good morals. So what's the lesson we take from that? Choose close companions who are Christians or who are wholesome people who share similar values. Why would you do anything else? Let's speak to dating for a moment. In dating, look beyond the physical. Consider the heart. Consider what's inside a person. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 speaks to that. Date someone who would qualify as an appropriate friend by the guidance that I just gave about who an appropriate friend might be. Grow those relationships with the realization that this person might one day become your spouse. Choose wisely. Now let's talk about marriage for a moment. First of all, let me say right up front, marriage was defined by God, not by the United States Supreme Court. Marriage is to be one man with one woman for life. That's what the Bible reveals. For those that are contemplating marriage, have religious discussions before marriage, not after. Share values. Talk about spiritual things. Get on the same page. If need be, delay marriage so that there's time to study, to teach, to resolve spiritual issues. Know what you are getting into. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul said, Be equally yoked by marrying a believer. Remember, marrying an unbeliever may put you or your children at risk spiritually. Families should be worshiping together. Nurture your marriages, as described in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verses 21 through 33. Paul discusses there the relationship between Christ and the church, and he does so by providing the context between a husband and wife in a godly marriage. And he says to husbands, Love your wives as your own bodies. To the wives, he says, respect your husbands 
and submit to them. Husbands and wives, it is critically important that you spend quality time together. This has got to be a priority, not an afterthought. It is important to nurture that relationship, to let that love grow. And moreover, it fosters an atmosphere for love and for physical intimacy. And those are important in a marriage. They're important because we need to fulfill our sexual appetites within marriage so Satan cannot tempt us through a lack of self-control. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Thirdly, avoid compromising circumstances, especially in the area of entertainment. Don't be looking for company in unwholesome atmospheres. And I mean by that bars where alcohol is the featured attraction. And the goal is to unwind, let down your hair. Those are the very things that lead to falling off target. Also, avoid nightclubs highlighting inappropriate dress lewd conduct, lasciviousness, risque kinds of things. Those distract us. Moreover, I would add, your mere presence at at places like that affirms the lifestyle of the unbelievers. You are to be a light shining forth for God, not the opposite. In this age of electronics, stay clear of scandalous websites. We all know it's very easy to fall into places on the web that we shouldn't be. When you do, exit immediately. Use web filters to help you in that regard. And parents especially, be alert. You have got to control the computer use and the web conduct of your children. There are things here that none of us need to be exposed to, especially our young people. Avoid inappropriate email contacts, contacts, excuse me, or texting, especially between male and female. And certainly don't be sexting, if you will. Do not transmit anything electronically that you would not be willing to say publicly face-to-face. I don't know what it is, but there's something about a keyboard that can bring out the worst in us and embolden us to do things that we would never do in person. Fourthly, plan for the devil's attack. You know it will come. Think about ways you might fall into temptation and decide in advance how best to respond. Try not to be caught by surprise. Plan an exit strategy to get you out of a bad situation. And maybe that's phone a parent, 
phone a friend, pray, run away, call a cab, whatever it is. Think about what you might do and could do. Finally, strengthen your spiritual character. Get prepared for battle by adopting the seven key behaviors that were proposed by the elders of this congregation in the 2020 vision. They play directly to the strategy to overcome temptation and stay on target. They help us maintain focus on spiritual things by attending our worship services every first day of the week, by getting involved in a personal ministry of church service, be engaged in the congregation, overcome overcome the love of the world. They help us do that by having fellowship with brethren. That can be in small groups. It can be in church activities, potlucks, whatever they are. It can be by being mentored or mentoring others. Defend against temptations by building your knowledge and your faith through daily personal Bible study, daily personal prayer, and attending our Bible classes, which will take place in the next hour and are available every first day of the week. It's important that we remember that we are to be disciples of Jesus Christ seven days of the week, not just one. As beacons of light to the lost world, we must remember whose we are. We can win a victory here. We are able to stay on target I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. You are not alone. You have the power of Jesus Christ behind you. But in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Romans chapter 8 verse 37. This morning... If you have lost your aim, now is the time to get back on target. We stand ready to help you, to pray with you, to do whatever it is to fulfill your need. Perhaps you're not a Christian. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, if you're willing to repent, to turn your life, and to take aim to that target, going after the holiness of God and confess the name of Jesus as your Redeemer, you can become a Christian this morning now and start a new life without sin and on target. If we can help you, we're going to invite you to respond as we sing this next song. And you can respond in one of two ways. You can come down the aisle right now and we will help see to your needs. Or if you prefer, you can exit to the rear of the auditorium and go to the church library where you can privately meet with one of our elders and they will see to your needs. Whatever your need is, won't you come now?
as we stand and sing. Sing.